You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurch.org. Today's message comes from our executive pastor, Vincent Pavone. It's estimated that we literally either ask or answer during the the course of a a simple day, literally hundreds of questions. We, we, We may answer them, we may ask them, but, you know, and a lot of them probably are not very important, you know, uh, unless you think that what are we going to have for lunch today is important. Uh, it might be, honey, what are we having today for lunch? Uh, that, could be, that could be up there, you know, but, uh, but, but there are some more important questions that we sometimes ask. For example, doctor, is my child going to be okay? Honey, are we going to make it? I mean, a serious question. Are are we going to get through this together? The weightiness of the question and the answer really depends on who is the one that's asking and who's the one that's answering the question. For example, when the Lord took the prophet Ezekiel and showed him a valley of very dry bones, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? Can, can, Can these bones come alive? And the prophet wisely said, oh, Lord God, you know. When the Lord asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) There's nothing that he doesn't know. So he wants us really to know what he knows. And why is that so important? Because the Bible clearly teaches that people perish for the lack of knowledge. People are destroyed for the lack of knowing or, or knowledge. So... It really is important. And I have a question that I'd like to share with you from the scriptures this morning. In fact, there's two questions. And, and really, what, what I believe with all my heart is that they're probably the most important questions that we can probably come to answer. And it really is a matter of life and death. So from Isaiah 49, verse 24, we're going to look at two questions. Number one, who can snatch the prey? from the hands of a mighty warrior? Who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go free? In other words, can captives be set free from one who is mighty? And the answer is yes, if a mightier warrior steps forward. In ancient times, kingdoms sometimes decided battles with the contest between two champions. Each king would choose the bravest and the strongest of his fighting men, and he would send them out to the death, and the winner would take all. This is exactly what brought David to national prominence when he responded to the challenge of a giant, and he went to meet Goliath. The imagery of David versus Goliath is a classic reminder that The battle doesn't belong to natural strength or even to conventional weapons. David's weapon of choice was five smooth stones and a sling. Interestingly, critics have said concerning David, if David's faith was great, if his faith was stronger, he would have just chosen one stone out of the the stream. But the fact of the matter is is that I, I think that that's a little harsh, that that David probably was just being prepared as prepared as he possibly could be. And five, by the way, in, in numerology is the number of grace. But 
I don't know if you know this, but later on in Scripture, we discover that Goliath actually had brothers. And there may have very well been four brothers, all like himself, 10 foot tall, giant. But no matter what the case is, David's weapon of choice was interesting. It didn't kill Goliath, but it did knock Goliath to the ground. And then with Goliath's own sword, David took that sword and he cut off the head of that giant. And then he saved it as a trophy. The sword, not the head. <laughs> that would really be gross. <laughs> but we credit David's faith and his courage for, for rising to the occasion and meeting the enemy. But we remember this, that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is not to the strong, the race not to the, excuse me, to the swift. But seriously, the battle does belong to the Lord. What I want you to know is that we have a champion today, and his name is Jesus. And he has come in the name of his heavenly father. What David said to Goliath was, you come against me with a sword and a javelin. Th that javelin that he had, the, the measurement is given in scripture. It probably was weighed as much as David did. But, but, but the point is, is that David said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And uh, we have a champion who's come in his father's name. So let's take another look at those two questions and see what the response that we need to understand and we need to get down into our spirits today. So Isaiah 49, verse 24, once again, who can snatch the prey from the hands of a mighty warrior? Who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go free? The Lord says, even the captains or the captives of the mightiest and most terrible shall all be freed, for I will fight with those who fight for you, and I will save, I will rescue your children, so that all the world will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. Amen? Have you ever noticed that the weapons that are used by God's champions are really unconventional, right? Stones and a sling. Uh, Gideon's weapons were a trumpet and uh, uh, lanterns. Uh, Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. There's one judge in Scripture, he, he killed 600 men with, with an ox cord. An ox cord basically is a stick with a pointy end that they moved the oxen along. And, and, and think about that. The, the power of Egypt, the, most, the greatest nation in the world at that time, was broken through the blood of a lamb. God's weapons of choice are seemingly foolish. That is because God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the, the mighty. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And all this points to the fact that we have a champion now who is unlike any other human being in all of human history. His weapons are weapons of grace and truth. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And we credit Jesus with great courage and faith in the face of the fiercest of enemies. And I got to say this, that the outcome of his battle is the most important battle that has an effect upon every single human being that has ever lived. And that can't be said about other battles. I mean, there may have been some really important battles in human history, but 
But this takes, takes the cake. This is, this is the most important battle. The outcome of the war between Russia and Ukraine right now is, is uncertain. But the war between light and darkness, good and evil, is decisively certain. Heaven's champion will triumph over every enemy, has triumphed over many enemies today. And I want you to think about that, that word triumph. I chose it purposely. I didn't, I didn't just simply say victory because victory and triumph basically are the same thing. But in Paul's mind, the triumph was something specific. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Thanks be to God who always causes us as believers to walk in his triumph. We walk in the triumph along with Jesus. Now, the triumph was a great celebration that took place in a nation that had been celebrating a victory. The general would be riding on a chariot drawn by four horses, his army alongside of him. In the front would probably be the, 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 the captured prisoners the royalty that were in that nation, along with the treasures or the booty of that particular nation. That's what Paul had in mind. Listen to how Paul frames that thought. Because in his mind, he says, thanks be unto God who causes us to walk with him in his triumph. Listen to how Paul frames this. And really, this is the goal of this message today. That you would be strengthened with an understanding of the magnitude of his victory so that we will walk with Jesus in the victory. Colossians 2.13 says this, but you were once dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Once we were separated from God. There was an angel that guarded the way to the tree of life that had a flaming sword that prevented man from going back into that, that place that was now turned into a wilderness, you could say, because of sin. Think about that. It says, but God, but God, maybe two of the most important words in all of Scripture, but God made you alive with Christ when he forgave some of your sins. Is that what it says? No. It says that he forgave all of our sins. He removed them all. He canceled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to his cross. All those individual things that we've ever done wrong in our life, he's taken that and Jesus nailed it to his cross. In this way, Scripture says, he disarmed principalities and powers of authority. He disarmed them. He stripped them of their power. And he made a public display over them by the victory of the cross. This is the triumph. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us. And the cross, beloved, is God's weapon of choice. And in so many eyes, it's foolish, the cross. It's, it's moronic. It's, it's, it's an offense. But God cho chose the cross purposely for those very reasons because he uses the weak things to confound the mighty and the foolish things to shame the wise. When we understand the magnitude of his victory, we will let out with a shout, we win. Because his win is our win. We who were once slaves of sin dominated by the prince of darkness. But one who was mightier came along and bound the strong man and released us from the grasp and the grip of a tyrant. And I love the fact that Jesus publicly humiliated 
principalities, powers, these hierarchies of uh, angels, fallen angels. I want you to think about this. Jesus did that through his death. There's a similarity with, with, with Samson. Samson, the Bible says, killed more in his death than he did throughout his lifetime. And Jesus destroyed more of the enemy's powers and, 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 and through his death, he's accomplished all of this. And when we say that Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus was brought back from the dead, please, please understand the, the magnitude of that. It is not like Jesus was resuscitated the way Lazarus was brought back to life. Now, Lazarus was the, was the greatest miracle leading up to maybe the greatest of all miracles. But when Lazarus was brought back to life, he died a second time. He was resuscitated in that sense. And a great miracle. I don't want to minimize that. But when Jesus was raised to life, he had a life that was different from the life that he had before his death. Before his death, he was subject to death. He, was, he, 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 he died. But now that he is alive again from the dead, having conquered death, having conquered the grave, it's impossible for him to die. Death has no dominion over him. Death cannot touch him. He's no longer subject to the same frailties that, that he once was. He, there's no longer fatigue in Jesus or, or, or weariness or, or restlessness in any of that sense. And why is this so important? Because that's the same quality of life that is promised to you and me when we put off the, these vile bodies and are, are made incorruptible like unto his glorious body. And that is tremendous news. See, this, this eternal life thing is not just, and, and it's hard for me to describe, it's not just the duration of time, even though that is incorrect to say time, because eternity is forever, and there is no time factor. So, But if I could explain it that way, it's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. It is a quality of life that we have never experienced yet or even imagined what it will be. But it's treasured in the heart of God, and he is preparing that for us. And all this was made possible through the greatest battle ever fought when death was swallowed up in victory. His victory over death has to impress you so much that you understand the magnitude of this victory. Because I tell you what, the only thing I can compare it to is the creation itself. When the power of God was released and Billions of stars were set in motion, and he holds all those things today by the power of his word. But I've thoroughly believed that bringing life out of death was even greater than creation itself because it didn't, God didn't break a sweat when he spoke the worlds or the universe into existence. But it cost God a son to bring life out of death, and it cost the son immeasurable suffering. So in my mind, that, that is far greater than the very cosmos itself. There's an interesting scene in the film, The Last of the Mohegans. Uh, I couldn't believe how many years ago that was. It's probably like 30 years old or something like that. But it was a great movie back in the day. And one of the characters, his name was Hawkeye. And uh, Hawkeye, to, to save the woman that he loves, his this, this his love interest was abducted by a, 
an Indian brave by the name of Magua who was hateful and bitter and, and had her as a slave and was going to sell her. But, but Hawkeye willingly was, was, was wanting to give his life in exchange for her life. But he had to make his appeal before a, a chief of a tribe. But before he could even do that, he had to go through a gauntlet of Indian braves who were beating on him and, and, and who were cutting him and who were uh, doing all of these violent things to him. And if he could survive that, he would make his appeal. Can't help but think of our champion who gave himself for the love of his life. And so like a lamb led to the slaughter. So Jesus offered no reluctance, no, no, no resistance to what was taking place, although he could have called 12 legions of angels. Jesus didn't teach or preach about an extraordinary kind of love. He demonstrated an unconditional, sacrificial love when he suffered in complete silence. You know, laying down one's life is a big deal. You know, I, 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 know, that, I know that in my heart, I would do that for someone that I love. I would do that for my wife or my children, my grandchildren. And, and I think that, that that is courageous because men have done that. But what really blows my mind is the voluntary surrender to torture because that runs against every instinct and every impulse of self-preservation. But Jesus voluntarily gave himself knowing the kind of torment that he would be put through. Here's an example of that, and there are several, of course, from the Psalms and also from the prophets, but here, here's just one example in, in Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 7. It says, I offered, I offered, I offered voluntarily, I offered my back to those who beat me. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you know how violent it would have been to have been scourged with a cat of nine tails, these, these pieces of leather that had sewn into it bits of bone or, 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 or metal, sharp metal, and, and how that literally, it probably ripped open Jesus' back, maybe even exposing bone, because there's a verse of Scripture in the Psalms that speaks about how that they made pharaohs in his back. And he did that voluntarily. And then, he, and then it says this, and my cheeks, I gave my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. Imagine how painful that was when Jesus was being, and, and that's why the word mocked is coming in the next verse, because that was when he was being mocked by the soldiers and punched and, and blindfolded. And, and they said, prophesy, which one of us hit you? And he could have, could have simply said, I know who you are. It says, I hid not my face from mocking and from spitting. The Lord will be my help and I will not be disgraced. Those are the words of a champion who suffered for us and in the process set us free from the tyrant's grip. But you know, physical suffering was only a part of what Jesus endured. I often speak about the anguish that Jesus experienced when he sweat great drops of blood the anguish that he must have had both in his soul and in his spirit and his mind and his emotions as, as God would lay on him the iniquity of us all. Every, every imaginable sin that has ever been committed, God has laid upon his son and he took that to the cross, nailing 
our record of wrongs to the cross. And one of the most spectacular scenes in the last book of the Bible, by the way, it's not the revelation of John the Apostle. It is the revelation or the unfolding or the revealing of Jesus Christ. It is all about him. He says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And what Jesus rejoiced in was that a body God has prepared for him. Time came. When Jesus ascended up on high, time came for him to be introduced as heaven's champion before an assembly of, of angels and before, before the throne of God itself. And an angel summoned everyone with these words, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. But instead of seeing this fierce lion, Rather, what they saw was a blood-soaked lamb as it had been slain. Paul tells us by the Spirit of God that when Jesus ascended into the very heavens, he led a host of captives to their freedom. Who, who, who are they? Everyone who held the promissory note that a Messiah was coming to rescue them. Who was in that company? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Rebecca. Rachel, and you could name so many others who are, who are holding on to that promissory note in faith. The prophets were there, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, all of the prophets. They were in that company. And this, and this is what happened. And this is the revelation of Psalm 24. And it starts in verse 7. Because the rescued come to the gates of heaven and they demand that it be open. They said, let the everlasting doors open wide, they said. But the angels who guarded the doors would not simply open the door for just anyone. But he's not just anyone. Well, who is he? Well, he's the king of glory. And the redeemed with one voice began to say, he is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Open up, O ancient gates, and let the king of glory in. And again, the angels said, listen, how many of you have ever gone online to check one of your accounts and you needed more than one identifier. You need more than one proof of who you are. And so the angels are making sure, who is this king of glory? And they respond again, the Lord, strong and mighty, invincible in battle. And we know him to be Jesus Christ, our champion, God's champion. At the end of World War II, there was, through 19 miles of Manhattan streets, there was a ticket tape parade, five thousand tons of confetti fell down, paper fell down upon the returning victors. But you know what? That celebration, as great as it was, will be pale by comparison to what takes place. John says, then I looked and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders, and they sang with a mighty chorus, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And they fell down and they worshiped the Lamb. For the Lamb of God will be forever the theme of eternity and all that he's accomplished to become God's champion. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is the, is, is the magnitude of his victory, but understand it was as a man that Jesus conquered principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. You see, if God would have, would have taken on sin, first of all, God cannot sin, neither can God be tempted, but it wouldn't be fair for God to destroy 
principalities and powers because God is God and there is, there is none equal to him. There's none comparable to him. The, the, the opposite of, of Satan is not God. The opposite might be Michael, even though Michael expelled him from heaven. But, but I want you to see it wouldn't be fair. So that's why, that's why scripture says, a body thou hast prepared for me. And that victory that Jesus had, he had as the man Christ Jesus. See, what you need to remember, too, is that no man has ever stood successfully before Lucifer or Satan before. Not a, not a single man. But there's never been a man like Jesus before. And it was the man Christ Jesus who triumphed over the wicked one. And as a representative, as, as we are representative in our identity with him, therefore we become more than conquerors because he is more than a conqueror. Another one of the titles given to Jesus is that he is the, the last Adam because there'll never be another Adam. There, there will not be a necessity for another Adam because this Adam succeeded where the first Adam failed miserably. At the beginning of his ministry, when Jesus was baptized, immediately the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness and there he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil threw everything possible at Jesus and failed miserably. And that battle that took place in the wilderness, and it was appropriate that it was in a wilderness, because paradise had become a wilderness. In that wilderness, that was simply a precursor of things to come. Under the shadow of man's greatest failure came man's greatest promise, that a champion would be born of a woman who would set us free from that tyrant, the devil. And in the fullness of time, the champion came to rescue the captives, snatching them out of the tyrant's hand. The Son of God laid aside his divine attributes as God. See, it wouldn't be fair for Jesus to do all those things that he did in the Gospels as God, but as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus began his ministry when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Jesus fulfilled the law of God as a spirit-filled man. And as a spirit-filled man, because the Bible says the Spirit of God was upon him without measure. And Jesus fulfilled the law of God. And then Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. At the beginning of this message, I stated the importance of knowledge. Because if people perish for a lack of knowledge, then... When we know what God wants us to know, if we believe what God wants us to believe, if we, if we know and believe the truth, then that is the essence of eternal life. That's what Jesus said in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom God has sent. And the word know there means in the same way that Adam knew his wife Eve in intimacy. And God wants us to be intimately involved with God, and, and that God wants us to be intimately involved with him. And what I want you to know is that the purpose of this message is to strengthen you with the comprehensive knowledge of his victory, of our champion's victory over hell, death, and the grave. Complete, total, far-reaching. I, I took a concordance, and I tried to find a word that could, could really summarize all of it, but I can't find one because there is none. 
It is, it is beyond description to understand the achievements of Jesus. And, 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 here, and here's how it affects us. His victory is our victory. His achievements, our achievements. His accomplishments become our accomplishments. His righteousness is imparted to us through faith. And this is the victory that he has won for us. And it's completely unearned and undeserved. And that's why he came armed with grace and truth. And he gives us grace heaped upon grace. This is so imperative that we understand the scope and the magnitude of his victory. You see, we're not supposed to be oppressed anymore. We're not supposed to be captives anymore. We're not supposed to be depressed or tormented or intimidated by our adversaries. In fact, when we're not intimidated by our enemy, it's proof to them of their destruction and of our success. Suffering is is, is, is a part of this experience called life, right? We all experience something. But, but suffering defeat is not. It's not in our spiritual DNA. It's not in our family history. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. The power of sin has been broken. You are no longer. The, the mandatory inward principle of, of indwelling sin has been broken. It's been paid for in full. And that's the second area in which Jesus has set us free by the power. He has, he has, he has broken the penalty. He's removed the penalty. And therefore, we've been set free from the penalty of sin. But three, the third P in this, in this great list is that we have been also set free from the pleasure of sin. Say to me, wait a minute, that's hyperbole. No, it's not. As we are beginning to be transformed into the same image of Christ, sin will not satisfy the new man anymore. You can't go on living in sin if you're a new person in Christ. It just doesn't do what it did before. Everything changes. And that last powerful deliverance is, is, is the thing that we all hope for so much. The more we struggle in this life is, is to be free from the very presence of sin. Because it is sin that has brought misery. It's sin that has brought pain into this world. But there is, a, there is a, a destiny that we have to live eternally without the presence of sin. And Jesus has changed everything. When we stand now against the forces of, of darkness, we do so in the name of Jesus and the authority of his blood. When we resist temptation, we do so as our new identity, as more than a conqueror in Christ. The gospel is that we serve a mighty champion and it's peace and joy in believing. That's the kingdom of God. In believing, may we become stronger believers in all that Jesus has accomplished because our destiny is that we are more than conquerors. I tell you what, knowing that, just, just going through a trial, knowing that Jesus is, is, is my champion, that he's got my back, will be able to just steady me in the midst of the battle and just give me the peace that I need so that I could say I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the list of things that can rob us of our peace and rob us of our joy are endless, really, right? They're, they're distress and troubles and oppression and want and perils. But what does the Spirit of God say about all those very things I just mentioned? He said, yea, in all these things, even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. Paul experienced all that and more so. And we've looked at some of those things in the past. But his, he had an attitude concerning the comprehensive and complete triumph of Christ. And that's what I want you to understand today, that, that 
His triumph is absolutely complete, comprehensive. Before that becomes a reality in my life and in your life, it needs to become, it needs to become an attitude with which I, I carry myself. It, it needs to be a core value. It, it needs to be a conviction so that it becomes then an experience. See, no matter what comes our way, we can say, I am more than a conqueror. How do I know this? Because this is what Paul said. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the fears for today or the worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above or in the heavens or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Why? Why, Paul? Because these things are trying to separate us from God. Just as sin once separated us from God, so all these things that are taking place, all of these negatives that we sometimes experience are trying to keep us away from this vital, intimate relationship with God. But Paul says none of these things will work. Our attitude conveys confidence so that we can face anything because it's not in our spiritual DNA to surrender or to give up. Now, I want to make something very clear. This does not mean that we never suffer loss. It doesn't mean that we're never disappointed. It doesn't mean that we never experience setbacks. And it doesn't mean certainly that, that life is now easy for all of us. It's not. We're engaged in a battle. We're engaged in a warfare. And it's for our soul that we're engaged in. But I want you to know that Jesus is and the battle belongs to the Lord. What I want you to do is, I want you to think about a toddler for a few minutes. Remember, you remember maybe watching a toddler, maybe for the first time, kind of pull itself up, and it's so, you know, excited that, that it could pull itself up, and now standing on, it, on its own feet, you know, and then now what's the next thing? You know, in, in, intuitively, we, we know we got to start to move, and so you take that first and second, and third step, and maybe you're not sure, and they fall down on their bottom, right? And, and, but they don't stop there. They don't give up. They don't say, I'll never walk again, because they sometimes experience getting dizzy or, or, or just falling back. We're learning how to walk in his triumph. That's the whole point of this message, is learning how to walk in his triumph so that we may stumble sometimes, and we may even fall sometimes, but we don't quit. We don't give up. We succeed because Jesus succeeded. We win because Jesus won. We're learning how to walk in his triumph. We know how the story ends, don't we? The battle belongs to the Lord. And with confidence, I could say, Jesus has our back. I started this message with a question. I want to end with a question. And the question is, Something that Jesus posed to, to a man who came to him and said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus asked him a question. Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? And I believe Jesus is asking this audience right now the same question. Do you believe this message? Do you believe that I am able to do this? He said, yes, Lord, I believe. And I hope our spirit says, yes, Lord. We believe. Now, I asked the band to close this meeting 
with a song that is just so inspirational. It is, it is so much the expression of this message. Let me, just, let me just share a couple of the lines with you. And then when we stand to sing this song, I just want it to go down into your heart and spirit. There's peace that outlasts darkness. Hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today just that Jesus Christ has won. Everything that we have, we have because Jesus Christ has won the battle. Everything that we have, the inheritance that we have as heirs of God and joining us with Christ is because of his victory. So I can face tomorrow for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need, you will provide just like you always have. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Can you say that with me today? I will overcome no matter what my experience is. Don't know what you're doing. I've been there, done that. God, what are you doing? I don't understand, but I know what you've done because I know the faithfulness of God. I know the goodness of God. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that as we are coming to the beginning, really, of this message, the challenge is, are we going to believe the word of God? Are we going to step out in faith? Maybe a little bit like Peter, but not failing. Maybe we're going to step out because your word says, come. And you're calling us to, to be more than conquerors, to be victors in Christ. You're, you're, causing, you're, you're, you're teaching us how to walk in the triumph. I pray that this would go down into our spirit and heart. And if you're here this morning and you've heard me talk about this Savior who paid the ultimate price for our sins, who nailed them to his cross. If you're not certain of that Jesus has taken the record of your wrongs and nailed them to the cross, you can know for assurance today that Jesus has not only dealt with your sins, but he's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. If you would do that today, would you pray this simple prayer with me now? Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe you are God's son and that, God, you were raised from the dead with newness of life. So I begin to live now with newness of life. I hope that you've done that. If you have, please tell someone. Come up for prayer if you can. But know this that God's word is true. He watches over his word and he hastens to perform it. And he's looking for that one person now among many who will say, yes, Lord, I believe that I am, as you say I am, more than a conqueror and nothing will separate me from your love.